Drabblecast, episode 243. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Great show for you folks this week. Let's jump right in with the 100-word story. Drabble! Think you can write a good story with only 100 words? They're called Drabbles. Try it out. Send it in to submissions at drabblecast.org. This week's comes from James Rogers, and it's called The Swap Last Fall. When he's not wrangling unruly bacteria in the lab, James writes fiction and listens to podcasts. He also enjoys a good French wine now and again. His blog is at scienceismagic.com. There you'll find his podcast, Synthetic Voices, which celebrates the world of speculative audio fiction. Do you remember that huge storm we had here last fall? Most people were huddled up in their homes, but Phil and I were drunk and waiting about in the town fountain like idiots. Some kind of man-versus-nature crap, I guess. I don't think either of us saw the lightning bolt strike, but I still remember how it crackled between my fingertips. When I woke up, I was in Phil's body, and I think Phil was in mine. He was also dead. I never told anyone about this before, not even my wife, certainly not Phil's wife. All around me are familiar faces, worn out places, worn out faces. Oof, would your spouse notice? Mistaken identity. Kevorkian's the one that helps you kill yourself. Kardashian's the one that makes you want to. We bring you The Other Lila by Gwendolyn Clare. Gwendolyn's a speculative fiction writer and fungal ecologist whose work has appeared in Clark's World, Asimov's, and Escape Pod, among others. This story first appeared in the summer 2010 issue of Bull Spec. The story is read to you by Naomi Mercer. Naomi's an actress, singer, voiceover artist, and all-around rock star who you've heard several times in the show. Recently, she did the voiceover app for Couch to 5K, which won the Appy Award for Best Health and Fitness app in 2012. Also, she did the voiceover and Foley sound effects for the new iPad 2 and 3 game, Band Together. Check her out at NaomiMercer.com. So, without further ado, we bring you The Other Lila by Gwendolyn Clare. I step out of a porter booth in the overheated Los Angeles station and reach up to peel off my winter coat. That's when I realize something's wrong with my hand. It feels numb and prickly, and the fingers aren't quite responding the way they're supposed to. Weird. I don't recall circulatory problems being listed among the possible side effects. Uh, ma'am? It's the porter operator, standing a few feet away at his podium. His hands clutch the sides of the control panel, knuckles white. What? I snap, irritated with his staring. The operator swallows. Excuse me, but I think there's been an error with your teleportation. He looks down at my hand. So do I. It has a sixth finger protruding out from the index knuckle. He called it an error. We're supposed to be meeting to discuss what sort of settlement we want from the Porter Company, but we both bring a lawyer of our own. I have some more pressing concerns and I bet she does, too. 
We sit down on opposite sides of the conference table. She's wearing a pinstripe skirt suit that looks aggressively fabulous on us, and jealousy flares in my chest. It's my suit. The lawyers share an uncomfortable glance. Her lawyer opens a folder of paperwork and clears his throat. <clears throat> Before we can proceed, we're going to have to establish different legal identities for you both. I'm the original, the other Lila says. Put her down as the second one. She lifts a too-familiar finger and points at me. I dig my own neat-trimmed fingernails into the seat cushion of the meeting chair and keep my jaw locked until the flash of rage passes. The other Lila is wearing my stubborn face, dark eyebrows furrowed, and I wonder if I am too. Technically, no, I argue, once I'm confident that I can keep my voice steady. If the porter hadn't malfunctioned, I would still exist and you wouldn't. So doesn't that make me the primary, Lila? The teleportation industry brags that the risk of disintegration at your departure point and failing to reintegrate at your destination is a million to one. Statistically speaking, that's better than flying, better than motor vehicles by a laughably enormous margin, and after all, it's instantaneous. Who doesn't like instantaneous gratification? What they don't warn you about is the risk of integrating at your destination without successful disintegration. She took my finger, the other Lila accuses, addressing her lawyer as if I weren't in the room. That has to break some kind of law. I roll my eyes. I gave it back, didn't I? It's not like I woke up one day thinking, gee, what I really need is an obnoxious nine-fingered doppelganger. The Porter Company covered the expense of the surgery that fixed the finger error. With our hospital trip now over, we both had the correct number of fingers, as well as a mental list of other concerns. I would say two mental lists, but I expect they're exactly the same. The other Lila folds her arms cattily. If I'm obnoxious, what does that say about you? I scowl back at her across the shiny conference table. Maybe it's just the stress of the situation, but the other Lila is right. I can't stand myself. By the end of our first meeting, we hadn't decided on much. I'll apply for a new social security number, and the other Lila will change her legal name to Lila with an H. Our respective lawyers, at least, leave satisfied that they'll be able to tell us apart on paper. We both agree to rent hotel rooms until we can figure out what to do about the apartment. Larger problems loom on the horizon, though. We'll both end up hard-pressed for cash if we have to split our finances. And what about less divisible things? Which of us will get our job? Our friends? Our girlfriend, Abby? I'd rather have Abby and let Lila keep the job. There are other advertising agencies in New York, but there's only one Abby. Unfortunately, Lila probably feels the same way. Manhattan hotel rooms are sized like prison cells. One, two, three, four paces, and I hit a wall. Turn, repeat. I start imagining that the other Lila will find a way to have me locked up for real, and the hotel room seems to shrink from merely stifling to claustrophobic. I have to get out of here. Get some air. Early April, and spring is still more of a promise than a reality. I hunch my shoulders inside my long wool coat, warding off the evening chill. My coat, the one I wore on that fateful porter jump, is the one thing, at least, that I won't have to cut in half to share with the other Lila. Something to be thankful for, I guess. I love the coat. I bet she does, too.
I set a brisk pace, partly to keep warm, but also because only tourists stroll in New York. I try to think positive, formulating a mental list of other things we can both have. You know, I can share the city, for instance. Manhattan could harbor a hundred Lilas, without our paths ever needing to cross. That's part of the appeal, after all. You get lost in the crowd and feel like you belong at the same time. I certainly didn't move here for the reek of urine in the alleys or the old chewing gum staining the sidewalks. I'm headed west out of habit, and before long I find myself in Morningside Heights, only blocks from Abby's apartment. I jaywalk across 110th Street, suddenly set on the idea of seeing her, if only just for a few minutes. I know I should probably leave her alone until I work out the situation with the other Lila, but Abby has this way of holding me that makes all my worries disappear, and I need that feeling like I need oxygen right now. I let myself into her apartment building with the key she gave me last fall and climb the stairs to the third floor. The apartment door is locked, but that doesn't mean anything. The doorknob broke several weeks ago and the landlord still hasn't fixed it, so the deadbolt is the only thing holding the door closed. Abby's fluffy white cat meets me in the narrow entryway. She rubs my legs, staring up at me with her mismatched eyes, the green one clear and intelligent, the blue one bleary with near blindness. Hey there, Isis, I say, leaning down to pet her. Abby steps into the hallway from the kitchen, wearing a confused frown, and when she sees me, her hazel eyes go wide. Oh my God, she says in one smooth exhalation. The beer bottle from her hand thuds when it hits the carpet, dark foamy stout splashing everywhere, but she doesn't seem to notice. She sucks in a rattled breath, and her hand moves to her midsection as if her diaphragm needs support to function properly. Then I hear footsteps on the linoleum in the kitchen, and the other Lila appears behind her. What are you doing here? she says accusingly. I grind my jaw at her tone. Same thing as you, I expect. We shouldn't both be here at once, as if that isn't obvious. I pick up Isis, who's still twined around my feet so I can step away from the door without tripping on her. Hugging the cat close to my chest, I say, Well, don't let me stop you from leaving. Lila glares daggers into my chocolate brown eyes. God, I didn't know how good I am at doing that. And then she turns her attention to Abby. Are you okay? Gentle, concerned. She reaches out to stroke Abby's sandy blonde hair, sending a pulse of jealousy through me. But Abby shrinks away from her touch with a shiver. Somehow, I feel both vindicated and pained at once. This, Abby says quietly, I can't. I can't. Isis, who doesn't like to be held too long, begins to struggle in my arms and I let her down. When I look up again, Abby has her back to the wall and she's hugging herself like her insides would spill out if she let go. I swallow hard, choking on regret. I'll go, I say, in the exact tone of caring that Lila used. I hate my voice for sounding the same, but it's the only one I've got. I never meant to hurt you. The night's even colder when I step outside again, a sharp intermittent wind blowing off the Hudson. I cut over to Morningside Park and walk along the edge of the Little League fields, abandoned at this time of night. The grass is still brown from the abuse of winter. I scuff my shoes in it, feeling angry and adrift. 
I probably shouldn't walk through the park at night, but who cares? There's two of me. I can afford to live recklessly. I think about Abby, her cozy apartment and her half-blind cat, her culinary sophistication and her crass sense of humor after one too many drinks. I could manage without everything else, but not without her. She's the one thing I won't give up. Of course, she's also the one thing Lila won't give up. I briefly wonder if it would be possible to duplicate the accident and make a second Abby, but no. I love her too much to put her through this nightmare. One Abby, two Lilas, three train-wrecked lives. I can't pretend to be half a person, and even if Abby could deal with both of us, I couldn't share her with Lila. We can't fit two people into one life. It simply isn't big enough for the both of us. There's only one way this can work out. I'll have to kill the other Lila. I wonder if it classifies as murder to kill someone who's effectively a molecular photocopy of myself. There isn't supposed to be two of us to begin with. Ours being the first case of doppelganger production, let alone doppelganger killing, I doubt the legal system would know what to do with me. Better to be on the safe side, though, and find a way to make it look like a mugging or something. Lost in thought, I haven't been paying much attention to my surroundings, so the metallic click from behind me makes me jump and whirl around. It's Lila. She caught up with me somehow, and I'm momentarily surprised that I didn't hear her creeping along behind me. I didn't know I could be that stealthy or that oblivious. I meet her stare. The other Lila, with my expensive shoes and my long coat, and my expression of determination drawing together my sharp eyebrows. The gun in her hand isn't mine, though. I'd say I'm sorry, but I'm not. Lila points the gun between my eyes. We both know there's only one way this can work out. was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Don't you hate it when travelers from another dimension want a photo with you but refuse to say why they're laughing? If you enjoyed our show this week, consider making a donation to help us out. Lots of hard work goes into it each week by lots of hard-working people, and whatever amount you can give sure makes a difference. It's easy to make a one-time donation or to sign up for an automatic five or ten dollar a month subscription, which is well worth it, wouldn't you say? By going to travelcast.org and clicking the donation link. Very much appreciated. All right, moving on to this week's 100-character story winner. This one here by Matt Moore writes. 1,000 bucks to hunt zombies in your park? Where'd you get them? We started with 22. The rest were like you. Customers. Stories exactly 100 characters. We call them twabbles, and we pull a winner each week from the TwitFix section of our discussion forums and post it early on our Twitter feed. Give it a shot, you might be next week's winner. And follow us on Twitter, at the Drabblecast. So that's our show, folks. Remember, Drabblecast is produced with a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever you pick up our show. Blog about us, tell a friend, spread the weird. 
So our program is brought to you by myself, Nikki Drayden, managing editor, our submissions editor, Nathan Lee, editor-at-large, Matthew Bay, our art director, Bo Kyer, and with additional help from Tom Baker, David Carvin, David Steffen, Jake Webb, and Jonathan McNeil. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you to keep up with the Kevorkians. The evening saunters to closing. The waitress turns chairs upside down. Piano player picks up his tip jar and drink. And the bartender shouts last round.